Hey, everybody. Welcome to Stuff Said, the show where I, cartoonist Greg Shegel, talk to other people in the worlds of comics, cartooning, and beyond. On this episode, I am talking to Jermaine Exum. Jermaine Exum is the manager of Acme Comics in Greensboro, North Carolina. Acme Comics is a multiple nominee for the Will Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award that is awarded once a year to outstanding comic stores in the world. And Jermaine is the manager there. And if you're asking yourself, yes, yeah, so why are you talking to him? There's a lot of comic stores. There's a lot of retailers. What makes this guy stand out? What makes him stand out to me is that he fascinates me. If only, you know, it's, it's, I want to talk about, but I don't want to, I don't want to editorialize the conversation before you hear it. I like Jermaine a lot. I find him fascinating. This is a conversation that has long been gestating because I've wanted him on the show and he is, he is expert at playing coy. And again, this might all be tipping the scales, but he is my first guest. I think if I'm thinking back as far as I know, with a dual identity, which is appropriate considering it's comic book stuff. But Jermaine Exum is possibly more commonly known to comic book people by his second, it sounds ridiculous even saying it, his second persona, I guess, which is that of Lord Retail. You know, secret identity or second persona isn't the right phrase. Stage name? Let's call it let's call it his stage name. So yeah, Jermaine goes by the stage name Lord Retail, which begs the question where does Jermaine Exum end and Lord Retail begin and vice versa? I really get a kick out of talking to Jermaine. He can be frustrating, he can be hilarious, intentionally and unintentionally. He is I guess the only other thing I could say about him before we go into this is this guy is comics retail. He is all about comics and selling comics and the love of comics. And it's in a good way. It's not in the Simpsons comic book guy way. And I get a real kick out of talking to him. And I hope you get as much of a kick out of listening to me talk to him. So without uh, more jibber jabber from me. Here's my talk with Jermaine Exum and or Lord Retail. Find out now. That wasn't one of the questions. Like that's just me asking you how you're doing. I thought I was. You said. Oh, you were on. You said we're live. We're beginning. How you doing? I'm like, well, I look. I was just this rhetorical thing. So now you're on camera. This is this is (laughs) is this Lord Retail. What what do you want? I want to. So here's what's interesting: is we're gonna talk two versions of you. We're gonna start with Lord Retail. Can we? Do you want to split them like that? I I think that would be appropriate. Okay, let's start with Lord Retail then. So you are front and center to the world at large, Lord Retail. It's your that, Twitter handle. That, that's a, uh, you know, they say that branding is important, and I didn't realize this at the time, but I was kind of branding myself slash the store, and in you know, out in the internet world and what have you, the name Lord Retail means things that you know Jermaine doesn't mean. Now the story goes that you were given this name by Gail Simone. 
Oh, no, no, no. This name was given to me many years ago by one of our customers. This is a guy that's been around since the beginnings of Acme Comics that you know various managers inherited because he, he stuck around through different regimes of management. And just one day, award-winning science fiction author M.A. Foster, who lives in town, and he's just, you know, he, he's a live one. He's, he's always got fun and interesting stories and just, he, you know, he kind of like energizes the room for the short period of time that he's in the store. And out of the blue, he just started calling me Lord Retail for no apparent reason. And you were a manager? You were already the manager at that point? Or were yes. you just a, Okay. Yes, I, I was full-on manager of the store at that point. And I'd say this is around, I feel like it was 2000 that happened. And just from out of nowhere, he starts, you know, Lord Retail. And I was like, well, that's odd. So how does why does Gail Simone get credit? This is the first time hearing really? that, to be honest. Huh. Maybe it's because on your... Is it on your Twitter account? There's a quote from her? I have no idea. Oh, it's your Twitter account. You know, I don't look at my, my home pages on a lot of my things to, to know what I put there at various points. <laughs> the thing is just up and running, and then I'm uh, still like, moving it forward, but I don't always look backward. But but the, the whole point is that... You are Lord Retail. Well, that wasn't the, the full-on you know, birth of it. Oh, but wait, there's I was more. At a, uh, I was at a Wizard Chicago where there was a panel with Bendis or whatever. And he had all these people up on stage with him. And I was like, okay, that must be his like immediate family and like, you know, nieces and nephews and like immediate family. Come to find out it was people from his message board. And I wasn't a big message board guy at all. This is not something I did. So I found his message board. I was like, you know, I I want to be one of those people. That's crazy. Those are civilians, not like family. I want to be one of those people next year. And uh went to his message board. When you go to a message board, you gotta call yourself something. And I'm thinking, ah, because you know how I am about things like that. It's like, ah, pick a name and you got to stick with it forever. What am I going to call myself? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Lord Retail. Sure. Utterly ridiculous. Stuck to this day. Beyond stuck. It is known far and wide. I guess so. You say, uh, from what I understand, it is. You know, it's a case where sometimes I'll be at a convention and I'll introduce myself to a creator, blah, blah, blah. You get a certain interaction but then somebody will walk past and say, hey, Lord Retail, and then I get a totally different reception from that creator because they know that name more so than my own name. Well, And I don't really like to put myself out there like that because I still find it weird. So let's, let's before you were a Lord, because this, this is where it gets tricky to separate the conversation between a Lord Retail and a Jermaine. Tricky because, for you? Why do you think it is for me? Well, <laughs> I can imagine. But let's, this is going to combine both people, and it's going to make sense, hopefully. When it all comes together, it's going to make sense in like two separate people somehow. Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna bring these two people together. It's gonna to be it's gonna be like when uh, Bruce Banner and the Hulk were combined into the one super smart Hulk. That was a great time. That was such a great period of time in comics. <laughs> so let's talk about times in comics. I usually don't talk about this with people because, in general, everybody has sort of similar stories to the to a certain degree. But because you're on the retail side, and you go by the name of Lord Retail, and you are a comics enthusiast. I want to know where this all started. I know some of it. Your grandmother got you comics. That sort of brought you in. G.I. Joe, Transformers comics. Like most of us of our generation, you see the ads for the G.I. Joe comics on the cartoon. What's that? Et cetera, et cetera. Is that about accurate? Well, I think it was actually my mom that got me some of my first comics, like off of a you know, 7-Eleven rack. Now, it was like, you know, my grandmother kept me in comics like over the summer. Like That was something... You know, we'd go to the drugstore, and I would buy a certain amount. We'd go back the next week. I'd get whatever I didn't already have. I had no idea when these things arrived or if there would ever be different ones mm-hmm. or or how it worked. I didn't know 
any part of how it worked. But I want to say that when I was buying Transformers, G.I. Joe, stuff like that, those books released before the cartoons did, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of that material, I wasn't yet making the connection, okay, this comic book is based off of this line of toys, is based off of this cartoon. It was just something I was buying. So as a buyer, let's let's just assume a lot of people started in the similar way, picking of our generation, picking stuff off of a newsstand, wherever it comes in, somebody brings you something. So I want to jump past that because then some of us stick with comics and people, other people don't. And for those that stick with comics, I feel like there's a peak period. There's a period where you are consuming comics in a way that you never did before and you probably never will again. You being the exception because you're now in retail, so you, it's your job to do it. But before it's your job to consume comics, you consume comics like it's your job. Did that sentence make sense? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, like, for, for example, myself, once my older brother got his driver's license, and that's when we were at peak to the degree where, like, we would buy runs. I'd go in and buy 14 issues of X Factor in a shot and come on, we'd just sit and read them. And then, boom, next week, you need more. And the, at the time, comics were cheaper. But we were spending 50 bucks at the store. Sure, sure. Just stacks and stacks of books. So what is your period of peak buying, reading, collecting of comics? I feel like, and, and my memory is terrible for, for various reasons or reasons unknown to me. But, <laughs> but you probably don't remember the reasons. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's uh, one of those deals. <laughs> but I feel like my peak time was probably end of middle school and... What's high school? Ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade. Yeah. That's high school, right? So right around end of middle school, getting into ninth, tenth grade zone, because that is the point where, as far as a comic fan goes, I was knowing more about comic books. I had a clue what you know Marvel Universe was and how characters interacted, and and I was big into the Marvel handbooks, so I, I felt like I knew something, and I wanted to go find the story where that paragraph was from that they referred to in the handbook. But also around ninth and 10th grade, I had a job. I had my own money. Getting into that zone where, you know, learner's permit is happening and you have that mobility to where you can go places, I kind of feel like that was that was a good period. You know, I had a friend that he was also into comics, and partnership is good with comics. When you have another person that is getting comics with you, like, all right, it's time to go to the comic book store. It's time to go to the flea market. It's time to go to wherever you're going with that comics in, in mind. You know, building up like two collections and trading back and forth and and all that. Because you mentioned your brother, that, yeah. that's that's an awesome aspect of, of comics. If you have some sort of you know buddy system, yeah, you don't want to be alone. Exactly, you need, you need somebody. And that was that was actually the, the next part of the question was how did that play socially? Did you have and you did you had somebody with you to? Because I took art classes, and in art classes there was always somebody else that was into comics. It was just a natural order. Somebody else was in there drawing superheroes, so we talk shop. You weren't taking art classes, as far as I know. Um, like electives, just, uh, like in junior high school. Or it, just you, you had to take an art class. Right. And, you know, I, I was just drawing, like, the, the shapes and the shadowing, and, and I learned what the horizon line was. There was an awful lot of building drawing during that time <laughs> when you figured out how that worked. Yeah. But no no superheroes for me at all. So, you know, I, I did my time with tracing paper, like sure. everybody else did. But So now you found – so in this peak period, did you find you were – despite the fact you say your memory is poor? It is – Poor. But do you remember the things from that period specifically because it was your peak period? Or do you just remember the feeling of what that was like when you were going to the store and buying stuff? I mean, there's going to be some things I kind of remember buying them off the shelf. Like I remember getting off work and going to the High Point Road location of Atme Comics and buying like some Nightfall parts of or, or Return of Superman or whatever was new on the shelf. 
And I remember, of course, driving myself there and doing that, you know, on my own. I didn't, didn't have to have a ride from parents or whatever. That was me going to the comic book store and buying some stuff on my own. But in terms of, in terms of beyond that, beyond the specific issues, I think, I think what I'm, what I'm asking is, I'm, I'm creating a mirror reflection. I'm, I'm looking at myself as a guy who's, again, we're, we're about the same age. We have parallels. Yeah, we have parallels. So I think about myself as a reader, and I was consuming comics like it was my job, even though it's my job. But I guess for me, the goal was I want to make comics. So I was reading comics as somebody that drew and like making up stories and that sort of thing. And I wonder where the differences are in terms of how you're consuming comics. Like just you just described your memories of it are picking a comic off the shelf, what was available at the time in the store. You mentioned the store. And I, and I wonder if, if I was asked that question, if my thing would be like, I remember when this happened in the comic or who was drawing this comic. And that's, I wonder, I'm curious if there's a, Basically, to understand your your track record to retail and this side of the business, if I'm 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 basically fishing for the uh, the origin there, the the nugget that set the the tone for where you were going to go. Well, there was always the underlying question of when do these books show up? Like, when am I supposed to be here? Assuming I couldn't go back to the same place every day, it's like, is there a particular day I go here? Because you're dealing with a newsstand, there'd be points where all the comics were gone. And there'd be points there was all new stuff you'd never seen before. And you just didn't know, you know, as a kid, you didn't know how that worked at all. But yeah, I guess there was a point when I was doing the comics thing, and, and that was a real thing. Going to the comic book store was a real thing, or, you know, finding a comic book store in the area. And I guess my mom had said to me, you know, maybe you will have your own store or something someday. Now, had you amassed a certain collection at that point? Did you have long boxes at home? I don't know if I had an actual long box. I'm sure I was doing... You know, the shoebox deal, or there was a period of time where I was doing the binder full of comics, which, you know, that I don't really advocate people do it that way because your books get a little torn up. But And my books, you know, I carried them everywhere, so they, they got a little, they got a lot worn because I carried them, carried them to school and took them places where I was going, different places. They were getting a lot of travel around. Do you remember seeing Previews magazine? Like, do those things register? I feel like I had seen it, but... It would be a while before I realized what it was. Okay. Because this was before uh, it was the big phone book. It used to be like a staple. Yeah, but you know, on surface level, it's not comics is no. the point. So it's like, I'm, I don't know what this is. It's not a story. It's not anything. So whatever. That's interesting because you were just saying how you were curious about when the books were coming out, what the schedules were and that sort of thing. Where did they come from? And previews is a real gateway into that. We start to go, look at all these other comics. Look at the depth and scope of what's available. By the time I was really seeing Previews Magazine and understanding what it was, I was already helping out around the store. Okay. So, you know, that just... And then something like Wizard Magazine, which was at one point quite a big deal. I mean, I certainly remember... This is a fun story I don't think I've told on this show. (laughs) When I was in high school, my Algebra 1 teacher... Yeah, I was in 10th grade. My Algebra 1 teacher was a guy named Mr. Seamus. And I would come... I would sit there and I would be drawing superheroes because that's all i did and i remember he came up and he goes oh i have a nephew he uh he has a magazine called the wizard what and i said whatever you're such a nerdy math teacher like what are you talking about within a year it i pieced it together because i started seeing wizard magazine i was like and i saw garib shame same last name and i said holy moly my teacher was not a crazy person his nephew had a magazine called Wizard. 
so and then and then at that point i was aware of it and it really was a big deal in in that early 90s i think the again i was at the newsstand or, or convenience store wherever i was i bought everything else and there was this magazine that was with the comics so i knew it had something to do with comics and i think it was the the Image Comics issue of Wizard had all the individual creators, like Eric Larson drew the Savage Dragon and McFarlane drew the Spawn and had the big spread of all yeah. the characters. The bulk of which I was not super familiar with, but I bought that issue and it was good to just see all these articles and just digest comics data on a different level and to kind of get an idea that, wow, other people like this sort of thing and other people want to read about this stuff and there's this character I never heard of before. So Wizard was a huge deal at the time. For me, as a, as a younger person, I had, I sort of inherited the, the notion and the attitude of comics aren't just for kids. Because when you're at that age, when you get to about fifteen, and people stop reading comics, and you are still reading comics, you're, you're, I guess to a lot of us, we're justifying it to ourselves in some way. I don't know if that makes any sense. There was that idea of you want comics, you want to convince people that there's a legitimacy to comics. Comics can be art, and there's the old, you know, the quote of like it's great art and great literature. If you combine them, what the why is that not art? Is any of this sounding familiar? These 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 I, arguments. I've been, I, I've been in the room with those arguments, and as a retailer, I recall times having to present that case for you know the business I'm in, and I have slowly watched that conversation go away as comics themselves have, have uh, you know made their own case over the years. I've watched that conversation go away, but as far as a fan. I never really took up that cause. Yeah, I never really did any sort of, this is why I'm reading Spider-Man or blah, blah, blah. In, in that case, as far as here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I never really did that. That's just, it's just what I was doing. You never had a, you never had a, not that you had a uh, complex about it. Cause I certainly didn't. I, I, you know, there's a pride in it and you want, for me, it's like, you want to explain to people why this stuff is great and you're trying to explain it to them on their terms. So you read a book this isn't that different from a book, blah, blah, blah. You never you never had that interest in creating that bridge? Well, it's more, you know, relative or somebody says to you, you still doing that comics thing? And my response would be, yep. Period. And that's, that's the end Period. of that Period. Silence. Yeah, that's, that's the end of that one. <laughs> then I go back to reading my book. So what year did you start helping out at Acme Comics? I was officially hired on because I, I did research on this because I couldn't remember. In 1996 is when I guess my first paycheck came around. Okay. But I, I graduated high school in 1994. Yeah. And it was, I think, summer of 94 that I started helping out or, or at least becoming more of a face around the store because I didn't always shop at Acme Comics. You know, I, I went to newsstand still because that's how you know I did things before we moved here and we moved here it's like okay you go to the newsstands you go you find a convenience store you see if they have comics if they don't have comics then you know what am I doing here if they have comics you try to get back over to that place I discovered at me comics downtown but you just couldn't always get over there and the other comic book store parts unknown was more convenient for me to get to so I spent you know a little bit of time over there mainly going through their back issues I didn't redo most of the new stuff I got off newsstands but I would go to Parts Unknown and look at their back issues. But I guess sometime during that summer after graduation, I started coming around at me comics more. There's a guy that worked there that was pretty cool. You know, I'd talk to him about stuff and linger around. You know, if you recall that point where you stop making your purchase and leaving, and you just sort of hang around to see if there's some sort of ambiance going on. I was never that guy. 
Really? I was never a lingerer. Yeah, I was a All guy. business, you know, selections, purchase. Yeah, I'd go in, I'd buy my stuff, I'd walk out. We'll see. Ya. A little bit in high school, I would I would have brief chat, and it wouldn't be immediate. This would be over time, where you sure. just you know the the comfort level is different, so you feel like you can kind of chat with the guy and and kind of see what, what's lingering. going on. Yeah, yeah. But that lingering turned into hey, you know, when I get off work, can I like help do something around here? And that turned into like a a real partnership of trying to turn the store from what it was into something a little bit better. Okay. That was one of the most fun periods in my career. I'm not saying that what I do now is not fun and, and, and these new worlds to, to conquer that, that appear from time to time, but that was a lot of fun helping out. My friend's name is Joe, you know, that's known locally, but it was fun to get off my real job and come over to this other place to do more work, but you were doing work that you could see tangible results of. You could see customers coming over to your display that you built. Now, the manager at the time... Bob, you know, we'll put names out there, sure or not. The manager at the time, he came from the downtown store, and I remembered him there. I don't know if he remembered me at all because I was much younger then. But he was very set in his ways. So that meant that when he was off on the weekends and Joe and I would adjust displays and build new countertop stuff or put up back issues to showcase something that connected to something going on on the shelf, we had to undo all that stuff before Monday and put it back exactly the way it was. Really? Absolutely. Now, and, and that is real. You had to put it back to the millimeter because Bob would notice if anything was out of place, and it would be a thing, like, and not in a fun way. It would be a thing. And since I didn't actually work there, I did kind of feel responsible that you know Joe was taking the heat for stuff that we had done if I if one of us had forgotten to restore something to exactly where it was. So now you weren't working there at the time, but was there was the were these changes these weekend changes or whatever they were were they being reflected? On the till, like was was the store yes. doing better, and did Bob have did that ever register? Like, what's going on this weekend when I'm not around? I don't think you were quite. There, so. I don't think it was quite registering with him, but I think that the owner did notice some something okay. somewhere was going on. Don't know what, but something something is happening. So during during the week or on the weekends. So what was the store like? Can you give me a general description of what the store was like before you were hired on, when you were helping out, when you were Joe, where were the weekend warriors, changing the game only so briefly? What was, what was this store like? Can you describe it in terms of, of stores? The, the layout was basically the same. Now, for your purposes, the layout was... Well, keep it not just mine. There are people listening to this that don't know what the layout is. Well, I'm, I'm terrible with, with dimensions and whatnot. Not dimensions. I'm, I'm saying like what – all right, I'll, I'll give you some – I'll do this multiple choice. Was it a generally clean store with space to walk around? Was it a, a tradi- what people would think of as a comic store, which is tight quarters, guy eating a sandwich on top of a long box, dark, um, windows covered up with posters so there was no outside light? It, it, wasn't, the, it wasn't those standard – Worst case scenario, comic shop things. It wasn't those things, but at the same time, there were. How were the books organized on the rack? Alphabetical by company. Um, definitely organized alphabetical, and by week. The okay. same way that we we have continued now. Not just wall of comics, because I'm not a huge fan of wall of comics. I never have been, but certainly, you know, all of my training indicated that the walls to be set up by new releases alphabetical, and then is to be moved over. One week ago, still alphabetical, so a person can, in theory, not ask any questions to the staff and still be able to figure out, okay, here's the new issue of X-Men that came out three weeks ago. It's right there where it says three weeks ago. So 
We still do that to this day. But it, the store was one half the size. Now, at the time, there was a lot of displays not changed very much or updated. There was a lot of, when I say applause brand trinkets, does that, does that make, make <laughs> any sense? A Beanie Baby? Not, not Beanie Babies, thing? but just uh, like Walt Disney pencil toppers. Okay, sure. And various applause brand trinkets and, and novelties were heavy on display because, you know, at some point somebody decided that's the direction that the business needed to go in. I recall seeing stuffed dinosaurs from Jurassic Park era. Okay. Those were there. Comics, of course. So, yeah, the com- what what comics were being – was it was it a strictly Marvel DC store? Because by this point, we're into the mid-'90s. The independent stuff exists. Certainly Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has had its splash. Cerebus had been going a good while. Dark Horse was pretty firmly established, or at least – getting their legs, you know, the the Terminator and Predator and Aliens comics, and they'd gotten the Star Wars stuff, right? Those things were present on the shelf, of course, but the other store in town, Parts Unknown, had built for themselves more of a reputation of being the place you go to for independent stuff to see a spread of independent things. And it would actually be a number of years before we built up that type of presence because for years we just didn't have that type of thing, and I didn't really know much about that type of thing to know that it should be there. I'm getting a, a sense of it, the before and after, pre-Germain slash Lord Retail, after Germain slash Lord So you start working there, and you strike me as a guy who, as the world happens, the world happens, and you and you roll with it. Well, I, I, the typical way you get a job at a comic shop that most people don't know about is that if you want to work at a comic book store, you got to be at a comic book store. And that means that when it was time for Joe to move on, there was already a person there that knew the stuff – that was showing that they knew how to do things, and you already had that. There, there need be no interview process. You had already seen the interview process. You had already seen work in action. And you know, I had to make a call and decide, am I going to work at this place or keep doing what I was doing, or, or what am I going to do? So, I know we're talking about you, but you said you know, when it's time for Joe to move on, where does a Joe move on to? What is, what is the next step for? I think that he started doing something, and this, this is a long time ago. This is where the memory fails. I think he started doing something, you know, when I say computer-related, that's super generic. But even then, he still was helping out around the store because we'd built like a community of, of friends and whatnot that when you weren't doing anything, you went to the comic book store to see what was going on. And by what was going on, you don't mean are people standing around talking about, can Superman beat the Hulk? You're talking about, are people at the store doing something? Are they rebagging comics? Are they reversing the flow of the alphabet of the backstock? What's going on at the comic book store? What are, what are we working on this weekend? Right. So Joe was the manager, so when he left, you became the manager. No, he was effectively – we were both clerks. Okay. So I you know, I came up through – like from fry cook, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Through the ranks. I don't think I was ever assistant manager. I think I went from clerk, which I won't say that title was offensive to me. I won't say that, but I went from clerk to being co-manager. Okay. All right. Clerk so, to co-manager. Let's not skip over that. That's um, kind of a, a big thing, I think. Sure, because there would be an assistant manager in there. Is there something between assistant manager and clerk um, in the military rankings of? Is it a shift leader? Is that I something? I have no idea. I, I never worked in a comic store. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that, that's uh... again. I didn't linger. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think that's an accomplishment on, on my part. And, you know, I don't usually talk about myself very much, but you oh. just threw this stroll down memory lane. I remember going from clerk, <laughs> and I remember having to say, I am not just a guy that rings out sales here, okay? I'm doing stuff, setting things up. There came that point where we did we no longer had to hide 
that Superman comics are no longer right there where they're not selling. They are now right there where the customer seems to be responding. It didn't have to hide that anymore. Was, Interesting. Was Bob gone at this point? No, he, okay. he, he was still there. And through that zone, and we're covering a lot of time here. Yeah, yeah. We had two oh, locations. We have, so much, we have so much more to talk about. <laughs> we had two locations. We had the Lawndale store, which was my home base. And then there was the High Point Road location that I mentioned having bought comics from. There came a point where the staff there needed to be completely turned over. And that meant that Joe was going to come back and work as manager over there with another friend of ours that was part of that whole, you know, what are we doing on Saturday, fixing the store. He was going to work with that guy and rebuild that store, make it work the way that we had done together at the Lawndale Drive store. And unfortunately, Joe and I never worked together in the same store as full-on employees, only separately. Mm -hmm. And that's something I kind of always regret it because we had a good chemistry. We had a good, like, I won't say good cop, bad cop. We had a routine. You know, if you would have seen us go, you'd say, wow, they are selling some comics to these people, not just putting them on a shelf. They're selling some comic books. They know how to do that, which is fun. I want to go in two separate directions. The first direction is about ambition, which is to say, when you started lingering and hanging out in the store, and then you got hired on at the store, did you have your sights set on I'm going to manage this place. I'm going to turn this place around. This is going to be me. Was the ego, and this is not a bad thing. This is the ego as a good thing. Was the ego a driving force saying, I'm looking around, I'm seeing problems? Because you've talked about how you would love to do a show that's like Kitchen Nightmares, where you go into comic shops and turn them around. I would I would love more than I, <laughs> almost anything work-related in this life to have the credentials to be able to roll into another business and say, I can make this better. But I don't. The, I don't have that. I probably never will. But let's not say never. But the question is: Is that something that even as a young man who is just stepping into this world, did you think I know how to do this better, or were you were you a humbled young man saying, "I can't wait to learn about this stuff from everybody around me"? When does the when does the flip sw- switch in your head where you go, "I've got this"? When are they going to put me in charge? I don't think I ever had that. I think that my mindset was always, I think there's got to be some better way to do this, as opposed to, I know what that way is. It is, I think there's got to be some better way to do this. And that could be from when I was a kid saying, I think that my shelf of toys is over there. would look better to me, I guess, being over there or being at my job as a uh, oil change guy, automobile inspector that, you know, I think this would work faster if I you know, did this in this order or just some way to make things better as opposed to, you know, it's my time to to start running things. I don't think I ever had that. I don't know if I still have it now. That's the weird thing about me. But you clearly, you wait, you clearly have it now because you just said it would be your professional peak dream to be able to go into other stores and fix them. But you also heard me say that I will probably never have the credentials to be able to do that. That is, that's a weird thing about me is that I have this, this confidence, this driving force to fill in the blank, but I also have this, wow, I, there's no way that anybody wants to. Well, sure, and, and, and an argument or a, a somebody, say me, could say false humility, Jermaine. You're creating, this is, this is the Lord Retail persona, a, a beautiful construct <laughs> that, that – we will we will slowly deconstruct a little bit as we turn the corner. Please do. Just be sure that you put it back together again. So, so look, I will freely admit 
I have I have both a inflated and horribly fragile ego where I look at my own work and I see all the mistakes in it, but I also have an ego that when somebody sends me notes on a comic I've done, I I don't want those notes. So I'm saying in terms of uh, isn't that a tough way to be though? Of course it's a tough when, way to when, be. When you are set up in that way, that that's that's a hard way to be. Of course it's a hard way to be, but it's it's which is again why how much of it is a false modesty? How much of it is a genuine? Where where is the self confidence and the lack of self confidence? They they're clearly intermingled. We're not one or the other. You, if if you're all confidence, you're a jerk, and you're not a jerk. <laughs> so I'm not going to call it false humility. Legitimately, I'm going to say somebody could call it false humility because Lord Retail is this entity beyond. I, I come in and out of it. You know, there sure. are points to where I am. There's a point where I'd say 10, 12 years ago where if I'm at a party or something or, or I'm introducing myself to people, I would say, you know, I work I work at a comic book store. Or there's this part where I'd say, and, and this is my lowest point, where I'd say, you know, I'm in retail. Yeah. And that I, did, I didn't like that I did that. And that was a short period of time I did that. It was not very long at all. I would just say, you know, I'm in, I'm in retail. Sure. Because I, I heard other people say that. That's what you say. You're in retail. But and would you then dread what do you sell, or would you just no? It's not okay. that. It's just I don't like to. I don't like to explain myself. I don't like to go into details about anything. Oh, I you're just in trouble, like to, baby. I like to give a brief answer and then stop talking to me. Hence the whole: Are you still doing the comics thing? Yup. Why are we still talking? Yep. I just answer your question. Move along. But what I have found that I need to start doing is I need to start saying, "I'm manager of Acme Comics, named best comic shop in the triad multiple times." Nomi- what a braggart. Nominated for the Will Eisner International Spirit of Comics Retailing Award five times. Uh, what's that? Well, it, I'm just being I'm being a common person. I, and not, that's and that's fine, but you know, I, I'm not I still need to, to explain it. I found that the the store and, and the people that work there, I need to start describing what the store actually is. But there's this part of me that, like you said, you don't you don't brag about yourself. Of course, when you have done something right, when you've done something good. You don't necessarily talk about it, and that's something you know. The store has always been charitable. It's always done things to help out where it could. Do I talk about those things? I just never did. So when it's come time to, for Eisner purposes, okay, list the community stuff you've done. I can't even remember half the stuff because you, you're not supposed to talk about those things, and right? Memory, when you do something good, and your memory is terrible, and that, yeah, I need a handler constantly to, to record oh, activities. We're going to talk about your handlers. We'll it to, takes a lot of them. We're going to get to that. You know, you could just write things down. Or just put it in my phone. I could do that, but <laughs> yeah. I'm a creature at the moment, mm-hmm. and the moment is past. You are. You are a delicate flower. <laughs> We're going to do a role play. I want to be a guy walking into the store. You're going to sell me something. Okay? Interesting. Yeah. Because it's a Sunday, and I'm technically off work, so... Yeah, and I'm, and I'm, we're not in the store right now, technically. Nobody, nobody so. needs to know where we are. My materials. I don't have my. You can't. We're gonna role play. We're gonna do this pretend style. We're gonna we're gonna do like uh, like the trolley's gonna come in. Mister Rogers is gonna talk to it. It's gonna go through the tunnel, and now we're in world of imagination. I'm not Greg anymore. I'm a person you don't know coming in off the street. You ready? This is either gonna work or not. We're gonna we're gonna okay. We're okay. winging it. Let's go. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. That's the door opening. How, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, let me, we're coming out of scene for a second. 
I am 17 years old. Okay. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, I saw that uh, Avengers movie, and I heard there's comics about it. So I want to read. I want to read, like, what's good? Like, what's good? Avengers is awesome. It's all awesome. But it, it, let me know if there's any characters that sort of jumped out at you individually, or do you really want to get Black into... Black Widow, man. You see Scarlett Johansson? Black 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 Widow was there. She played a critical role in everything unfolding. You know, there's totally Black Widow comics where she's like the lead character and all. But if you really want to like get into the comic book world of Avengers, because it's been around for a minute, you know, they've been telling stories every month. A new Avengers adventure unfolds. So if you want to get in on that, we can do like the newest issues on the shelf. Marvel just sort of reset things to issue number one on their series called Marvel Now. Now, that's not saying that the stories in the past didn't happen. It's just some place where, you know, people that like first issues can know exactly where to start on a series. You can do that if you want to. Or series I like to put in front of people, it's called Avengers Disassembled. There's a paperback for it. This came out a few years ago, but we still talk about it now because it's an awesome story. So basically, what that's about, if you want to do that one. Is Black Widow in that one? All the Avengers are there. All right, this all is right. like an emergency. It's like a five-alarm emergency. Everybody's there. But basically, the Avengers have their worst possible day ever. Like, stuff blowing up over here. They're getting attacked on their lawn over here. Back to back to back to back. That guy just blew up and died. What's going on here? Why is this happening to us? This is crazy. And it turns out that there was a internal family problem that they kind of look the other way on for years. You know, sometimes there's a person in your family that's doing weird stuff and you yeah, kind of don't man. do anything about My it. Stepdad is the worst. They had something going on internally that kind of bit them. So you get to see how does this unfold and does the team recover or the Avengers done? Because it, could it be that bad the Avengers are done? So do I have to, read all, do I have to read all this stuff about this family? Like, like I just want to try this stuff out. Like, I don't really read comics. Like, I just want to, like, see, like, like, I don't really read comics. Like, I saw this movie. I thought it was cool. I think you need to try this first issue of Avengers and then see what, see what it does for you. If it does nothing for you, I want you to come back and tell me about it. All right. Then All we'll right. talk about the next thing. All right, man. All right, I'll take it. All right, I'll meet you at the checkout when you're ready. Thanks, man. And scene. That was a tough customer. You know, usually people don't, don't give me hardball, not on disassembled well, like sev- that. I was 17. I'm also 17 with my brain. You didn't tell me it was a 17-year-old with Greg's brain. No, you said you weren't Greg. Think about this. 17-year-old who just saw Avengers and is, like, harping on Scarlett Johansson, who let's I mean, barely part of that movie. His head is somewhere else. You know, the, the thing that and, I think... And he's a cynical 17-year-old who maybe is like, this guy's trying to sell me on it. He's trying to upsell me on some old story that he's into. There's a couple of different aspects of being a young person today that's interesting in that... You watch Avengers movie, you can go straight over to Wikipedia and do research on all the individual characters, and you'll just go down the rabbit hole of stories, and that will lead you back to comic book storylines, and you'll maybe have an idea of what you want to see when you hit the store. The same way that I would do the Marvel handbooks and try to get a clue of what I thought might be in this particular issue is what I wanted. Or, I say this all the time, a person can watch three Iron Man movies and Avengers and have a general idea of what makes Tony Stark tick what's important to him, what his challenges are, how he works, and they can pick up that same new issue off the shelf that I can, having read Iron Man comics since the 80s, and kind of, you know, be on the same page as far as why does this guy do anything. And I think that's kind of cool. 
All right. Role play is over. And I'm no longer 17. It is Gre- Greg, you never were. I was just playing. I was just humoring you. You I were never once. 17. I was once. I was reading Nightfall also. <laughs> I promise. You know what? Going back to that, and I just wanted to bring this up before I forget about it. Back to ninth, 10th grade in high school, there was a guy in my earth science class. And I won't say he was sketchy. He just did things differently than I did. He was kind of like a... What's the equivalent of like a, you know, rebel without a clue type guy or one of those things? You know, every kid knew this other kid that was like, wow, he's living on the edge. (laughs) Anyway, I would trade comics with that guy from time to time because he would have like stuff I didn't have or I couldn't get it or I'd never seen it before. And I would have to trade off some stuff that he wanted or whatever. Now, come to find out that that guy was getting his comics at that time, mind you, from Joe that would later work at the comic book store. I was receiving some of Joe's comic books. And we wouldn't figure that out until years later of, of just talking to one another that he was like, yeah, I would trade comics with this guy. I did too. And then we realized we had this middleman and we never actually like met each other to trade comics directly until years later we would meet each other for real. I feel like there's a pop culture parallel to this and I cannot conjure it, but that is cool. Let's talk about modern day Acme Comics, modern day slash the future Acme Comics. You have built Acme Comics into something. You and your team. You as Lord and, and it absolutely takes a team. Like I don't, I don't want anybody getting the opinion that you did all of it this, yourself. Yeah, I don't, I, that's simply not let's, true. Let's like, make even that if I, statement. You did everything all on your own. Even if I stay at the store for fourteen hours, you know, working several hours after closing to do stuff, that means I'm not really worth much the next day. I'm not. I'm out of it the next day, and that means there's got to be a you know support team that can pick up my slack because I move the X-Men display from here to there for no apparent reason. I've always had this thing where I like to move stuff around. I call it retail dysplasia, you know, because I'm moving displays around. And I just, in my mind, it's because I feel like there's a perfect spot where something will begin to sell. If Superman isn't selling here, man, I'm pretty sure if I put it right over there in that corner, people are going to say, they still make Superman comics? That's crazy. Look at all the Superman comics. Because I've seen it happen too many times. I've seen it happen too many times. So I always feel like, okay, the X-Men display here has sold all it's going to sell. I have exhausted all the sales of products out of this spot on the store. Now this is where Batman lives, and X-Men must still be present, but it must be over here now. I have a feeling what you're trying to say is location, location, location. Something like that. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't have – I haven't taken any – uh. Never went to business school, anything like that. I've just seen things, Greg. You see things in this business, and it's just too much to ignore. All right, so let's talk about this business a little bit more, and then we're going to talk about the things you've seen. You've built Acme Comics into, you know, it's not it's not a franchise. You don't have multiple locations, but the store itself, it's a great store. It's clean. There's space. The displays are outstanding. Sometimes I think that people don't really notice them, or sometimes... My biggest fear is I've built a display that makes sense only to me. I think your displays are lovely. Okay, because yeah. sometimes I worry, that, okay, from another person's point of view, this looks like stack of books or wall of books. Well, but to thing. me, this is the X-Men display, and there's a reading order, and you're supposed to do that and read that in this order. Here's this is the, the hardcovers, this is the softcovers. And... How much do you want them to really notice the display, or do you want them to notice the comics on the display? For ex- It's almost like lettering in a comic book. If you notice it, is it a distraction? Does that make the letter or not? Like, you know, you don't, there's certain, there's certain disciplines you don't want to be noticed. You want them to be just absorbed. Would not a display be of that nature? 
for me, it's about presentation. Have, have I presented the products that I have on hand in a way that is attractive and or makes some sort of sense to somebody that knows, okay, this is X-Men, or somebody saying, ah, X-Men, let me look at all these. Sure, but I'm yeah. saying, for example, I'll lay out a, pa- a page, and I will be very enamored with the the flow of the figures and how one panel leads into the other and how I'm specifically having the composition of each panel bring your eye around. The fact is most people aren't going to notice that stuff. They're going to read it and understand it. And if that happens, the job is done. If they notice more than that, they're either paying a lot of attention or I've done a poor job because they're not paying attention to the story. I think the ultimate victory must then be if the I naturally flowed and the brain was able to figure out what was going on. This is what I'm saying. I think that's in this business. Sometimes you have to quantify what equals success. And I think that that scenario, if somebody, you know, bought a stack of X-Men comics or bought, you know, three paperbacks in a row or came back the next week to get the next one, then that worked. You become the manager. You start the store on a trajectory to the point where now you have received four or five Eisner nominations? It's five this year. Five but, in uh, 2013. you got to remember that there was a point where the Lawndale store and the High Point Road store were both functioning at the same time. And I guess what I was doing was kind of general managing both locations. I don't know how I did that at all. And there came a point where I was located at the High Point Road location, and the clientele was very different over there, and the clientele took some time to warm up to me, but it was a new world to conquer as far as rearranging things or finding the spots that made the most sense for things to work and using the products that I had from back issues to new releases to make the most out of what I had. That's one of my skills, and it's also probably a weakness that I can make something out of nothing. I can take no resources, no materials, and I can come up with something. How is that a weakness? If you if you know that I can get results out of that those conditions, then you might not invest I understand. in more materials and more resources and, and such things like that. If you know, okay, this guy can get stuff done here. If you're always coming can, in under budget, the next budget you're going to get is going to be lower. That's exactly what I it understand. is. So in that way, it could be a weakness. We won't tell anybody. <laughs> As the store has become bigger within the scope of North Carolina, within this within the scope of the United States, etc., they've gotten more attention. You get huge attention for the free comic book day events you hold. You're you're venturing into the world of conventioneering. I want you to understand that free comic book day used to be four tables with some books on it, and maybe two creators, maybe four. And right. you, you now know what Free Comic Book Day is from your point of view, it the is. size of it and the scope. And this sure. year we gave away, was it 32,000 books in three locations, the main store, the Greensboro Natural Science Center, the Children's Museum. And here's where I'm not good about talking about myself. There was actually a fourth location what? that Free Comic Books were given away. But the idea came to me too late in the game, and we couldn't really order with this fourth place in mind, so I kind of pulled some random things together. And there were some free comedy offerings, and it was just some other stuff that, you know, we had to give. And I took some comics over to the Windsor Community Center, which was a few feet away from where I grew up. Ah. But I hadn't really been on that side of town in so long, and I never really used the community center because I was always reading comics indoors. But I feel like, you know, the next comic book writers and artists are all out there. They're young people, and I know 
that that's an area that, that the kids aren't seeing these characters. You're not seeing the artists. They're not seeing someone can make a living doing comic books. And by the time I realized all those things, you know, the free comic book order had already gone in. But I told the director there, after giving her two boxes of random comics for her to give away like two months ago, I said, do what you're going to do with these books. You get them in some hands. If there's anything in there you don't like as far as like the way something looks or – I tried to make sure it's all-ages material, but sometimes you never know. Sure. Because it's hard for me to sometimes look at even an advertisement or something to remember i got to look at ads too, cover to cover these books. I told her, if there's anything you don't like, just get rid of it. But otherwise, make these comics available to whatever kids will, will take them. I will be back to give you stuff for free comic book days. You guys have stuff. And it took me right up to the Friday before free comic book day because we had so much going on. But I remembered to do that. I took over two small boxes and I said, here's your poster. You put this up on the door on Saturday morning. You give away all these comic books. So technically there was a fourth location, but when you do something good, you're not really supposed to talk about it, right? Well, now you just did. And that's why I'm not one of the good guys. Oh, stop <laughs> I'm an anti-hero. Well, all of this falls under the, the umbrella. All these achievements fall under the umbrella of the common rubric I hear from the Acme Comics staff of we didn't know we couldn't do that. Did I say that correctly? <laughs> that's a ridiculous statement that just totally sums up everything about how we do our thing. And the origin of that statement is Joe and I had to go to the Winston-Salem location we had was closing up shop. And we had to retrieve a poster rack that was better and newer than the poster rack at Lawndale. Bear in mind, it wasn't working there yet. So Joe and I took my car to Winston-Salem, retrieved this poster rack, which meant that we had a poster rack sticking out of my car. Okay? And I guess we tied a sock or something to the rack part that was sticking out of the back window of my car. And, of course, on the way back, a motorcycle cop pulled us over and said, and speaking about the piece of metal sticking out of the back of my car window, he said, well, what you're doing is so illegal right now. You, you can't do that. And we said, we didn't know we couldn't do that. Officer, you know, in service of the store, we didn't know we couldn't do that. So we dismantled it a little bit more, got it put back inside, mission accomplished. So that's just the attitude we have as far as trying out crazy stuff or experimenting with, with options. The idea is that... We didn't know we couldn't do that, so we did it. You talk about this dream Kitchen Nightmares job. Kitchen Nightmares being a show where an angry chef goes into restaurants. And Gordon Ramsay is brought into a restaurant that in theory is months away from closing right. because of fill in the blank that they're not successful. So here's the question. What are you seeing or hearing or understanding is wrong with comics retailing that you want to fix? It's a big question, I know. It's a huge question. I love nothing more than an awesome store that is functioning well, happy customers, a store that I'm hearing about hundreds of miles away. That, that's fantastic where, where the customers are talking about how great their store is. But equally, because of things like Twitter, Facebook, and this, that, and the other, if, if something is not going great at your store and you are equally hearing about what an awesome time everybody's having at their store, then you're going to hear about some of the things that are happening to people out in the world. And, you know, from series that are not being carried, despite the fact that you know there's readership for them, despite the fact that you're hearing from people, I, I keep asking for the series to be held for me and it's never there. Or, like you described, the, the dark stores with displays have never been changed. You know, that it, when I go in a store like that, because I like to visit other stores when I can, 
because chances are I'm going to see something that never occurred to me or something that, you know, we're not doing right. It just sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, and it takes going out in the world and seeing something and bringing that idea back home. You know, the, the we carry individual hero clicks that you may have seen in the store. I saw that at a shop in, in Chicago years ago. I said, what are you guys doing? Selling individual hero clicks does pretty well. Then we started doing it, and we're still doing it now years later. But when I go in a store and I start to think to myself, wow, if only this guy would let me move this display for him, I know that this could get selling. If only this guy would let me put this hardcover here that's sitting on the bottom of that shelf and put it right up there, somebody's going to buy that thing. This is killing me. Just things like that. I, I just think that I could I could make the shops better, which would make the industry stronger. Is that possible for a strong store or a lot of strong stores to change some industry figures? You think that'd be possible? I don't see why not. Could it be as simple as that? No, I don't think anything's as simple as that. But in in a in a machine with a lot of moving parts, there's nothing wrong with fixing one of those moving parts. Because I really believe that every store could sell as many copies of Lock and Key Volume 1 and have to restock as often as we do. I think every store could find readers that could be into a series like that. And it all comes down to, and I'm not talking about the majority of stores, you know, but I really think that if stores got more in the business of selling something, not just putting it on the shelf, we've never believed in if you build it, they will come even though I've never seen whatever movie that's from. That's from Field of Dreams. It's worth seeing. Is that, is that baseball? It's not. It's worth seeing. I'm not seeing it. It's worth But seeing. you know the statement. If you build it, they'll come, right? Yes. And in business, that's, not, that's a pretty poor attitude to have. I don't subscribe to that. But I think that if you figure out how to sell something, how to present something, how to be the last spokesperson on this book from Marvel – Rather than saying, yeah, Marvel just sent us these Age of Ultrons here. This is a dumb storyline. It's just another fill-in-the-blank, and there's going to fill-in-the-blank as though you had no role in Age of Ultron, for example, being in your store as though you're you know, some sort of victim that Marvel sent you these books, and you and they made you pay for them. If you figure out some way to present this thing, and even something you're not keen on, just some way to present it to that customer because you were the last spokesperson on this material, then that's going to change things. It's going to change results. Again, could it be as simple as that, looking at it that way? Because I really think a lot of stores look at it as though, well, DC just sent us some more, you know, junk. What are we going to do with all these copies? I think in all respects of all fields, an attitude adjustment, which is sort of what you're describing, can do a world of good. You know, when we look at a book like Manhattan Projects from Image and we say we're going to order this amount of copies – that is when we are having the conversation internally. Okay, how are we going to sell this many copies? Are we going to make sure we're talking about it in the email? Can we get Jonathan Hickman on the podcast? How are we going to sell these 100 copies? We're not going to just put 100 copies on the shelf and then just do something else. That's not how this is going to work. How are we going to sell this product? And I don't know if that's how everything is done. I'm hearing a lot of – I haven't read comics in years from stores, and that kills me. I, I really don't – if that's the case, what are you doing? You know, if you were a retailer, if you were in the business of selling comic books to paying customers and you're saying, you know what I don't do? Read comics and you're vocal about that, what are you doing? Well, it goes to, as is often the case on a Kitchen Nightmares, the chef that doesn't taste his food. 
And that's why I love Kitchen Nightmares. It's not because I necessarily like Gordon Ramsay yelling at people. And I'm not going to lie, I kind of do. But it's basic <laughs> stuff like that that can be applied to any industry. You have a chef that is not tasting his or her food, and it's then charging people for it with no idea what's going on. Yeah. No, I, I know you go on Tuesday nights and you read, you power read the books. And that's not the way to do it. No, it is That is, is not. not the way to do it. You know, as, as a creator, you must hate the fact that I will read between 12 and 26 comic books between the hours of, say, 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. That's not the way to do that. But if I can extract any bit of data to where I can say to a person, I know you like Transformers, but you need to buy this issue of Masters of the Universe. Just put it in the stack, you know, knowing that like Optimus Prime's on the last page or some nonsense mm-hmm. like that that doesn't actually happen. But when you have done that, that's an additional sale – and there's that customer who says, wow, this guy was right about that. Maybe next time you know, this this store tells me something, maybe they're onto something. Maybe they know what's going on. Yeah, no, as a creator, I would say, while it might seem like you want somebody to read the book and really just spend a lot of time with it. Like on a Sunday afternoon in a hammock with like a lemonade or something. The fact and, of the matter is, as a creator, here's what I know. If somebody's going to read the book that is going to cause them to actively want to sell that book to other readers, I'll take it. For sure. All right. When you win your Eisner Award, when this happens, do you know what your speech is going to be? You don't have to say what the speech is. Do you know what you're going to say? The the second year we were nominated, I knew what that speech was. Here with the fifth nomination, no idea. No idea. And you can extract from that what, what you want. No, I... Now, I will. I will say this, and you're going to say, come on, get out of here. It is an honor being nominated, and here's how it's an honor being nominated. Come on, get out of here. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. This is where I'm supposed to be. The reason it's an honor to be nominated is, is you can win the Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailing Award one time. You win it one time, then you're out of the conversation. Every year this store is nominated, we are in the conversation. Publishers are hearing about us. Creators are hearing about us. Other stores are hearing about us every time that happens. So in that way... It is an honor to be nominated. I don't know how well you remember when we first met. I'm told that we first met in at Baltimore Comic Con, is what I'm Baltimore told. Baltimore Comic Con. And I can't remember specifically if we met at the bar afterwards or if we met on the show floor. But here are the things I remember. You're dangerous. You're one of those people that A, observes, and B, you know... Pays attention to what they just saw. You were extremely dangerous. Eric Larson. Er, Eric Larson said it was like talking to his wife. As that in that I bring up things that he doesn't remember saying, and is now suddenly has to defend himself. Here's what I remember: I remember that you were incredibly positive and gracious, and really into this this book I was doing, and saw something in it, and saw something in me as a creator that somehow it's almost it's a thing that I do where you you quietly in your mind decide whether somebody's going to be part of your world or not. Okay, you assess them and go. This one's allowed through the door. This person is not getting very far. And I didn't necessarily know it at the time, but you, you opened the door. You said, this guy's in. This guy is going to be part of, of whatever's going on. He's part of it. I want to be part of it. We're good. There's going to be a, a synergy with this creator amongst all these other creators. And I wasn't the only one. Chris was there. I think Jacob might have been there. Smitty was there, right? D- did you think that was real? Or was this another guy saying, yeah, yeah, we should totally uh, make a movie together? 
No, because you didn't approach it that way. You you were genuinely interested, and you, in, you out of the gate, I think you were like, I want to get copies for the store. And this was a mini comic. This was a folded, stapled thing. And I am enough of an egotist where I'm like, no, no, no. This this if it's going to be a widely distributed thing, it needs to be better than this. That was my. It needs to be finished. It needs to be blah blah blah. It can't be a one dollar mini comic. The other thing I remember, this was at the bar, was you as a presence. Now, bear in mind, I have been going to the gym more, so hopefully I'm not as much of a presence as you put it. No, no, it's it's not a physical presence. It's a, you were dressed like Dick Tracy, minus the yellow coat. You had a black vest, white shirt. Did I have the red tie? I don't remember. I believe you had the red tie, and you were wearing the yellow hat. Which I got from the, it's one of the last things from the official Dick Tracy Museum that you could buy before it closed. And, you know, I just wanted an opportunity to wear the thing. And I figured, hey, you're at a Comic-Con, and there's the after party. And that was, again, transitioning from fan to retailer, discovering that there's an after party. Just finding that, that became a whole new, you know, exciting part of going to comic conventions. Even to this day, I prefer getting to hang out with people after the show than, you know, looking around at tables and stuff. But in a room full of comic book people who are notorious for T-shirts and shorts and just hanging out, you are a gentleman. And you were quiet. I'm a talker. We were all gabbing, and you were quiet, and you, you were participating. You were not aloof, but you were quiet, and you were sort of in that space. And it was very interesting. And, he, and it was interesting because you were very cagey about a lot of information. You would not tell people your last name. W- wouldn't, you say? You wouldn't. That's odd. <laughs> you wouldn't. I remember. It was like, oh. And I remember Steven saying, like, hey, he doesn't tell people his last name. It's like, what are you talking about? And then, like, little bits of information would come in. Your mom was a race car driver. Yeah. Right. Apparently. But, again, that is the degree to which I don't like to talk about myself. Like, well, that's not is... me trying to build this, this you know, mysterious whatever, or you have to answer these three riddles before you can get to this stage of interaction. That is the degree to which I do not like to talk about myself. But I remember at Heroes Con, I was with Chris Russo, and he had gotten a box shipped or something, and it had your full name on it. And we saw this name, and we <laughs> you, certainly... ser- you seriously didn't know it before then? No. I've had people suggest to me that my last name is not real. I had no reason. And, uh, am I offended by that? No. But it's just weird, because it's, it's a common name, certainly for, for me. But uh, that name is out in the world. Well, I had no reason not to believe it real. But I think, like, we saw the name. Like, why, why would he keep this a secret? Like, we don't understand. Like, why is this name a secret? Like, why is he so mis- like what is the what is the what is the game here? Because you also and this is we're dovetailing from Lord Retail into Germain because you do have this persona of Lord Retail, and one you could look at him and be like, oh well, he's trying to keep these separate worlds. He's got these two things, but it's it seems to me it's more than that. It is maybe it's part of you not wanting to talk about yourself, but and this is something else that I I, I see that and I get it. Because I tell this, I say this all the time, I tend to be of the, don't look at me, but notice me. That's interesting. And I don't even know if that explains what it is, but that's that's sometimes how I approach things. It's one of the problems I have with a lot of social media, is it's very much a look at me thing. Pay attention to the personal branding, as opposed to look at this book I did. So you present Lord Retail, it's almost like a product that you're selling. But there is Jermaine, the person. By default, yes. <laughs> that must be part of the But there's, of the mix. there is a mix and match to the point where sometimes you will say a thing that appears to be purposely nebulous. 
or vague. I like those words, nebulous. Purpose, but it's the sort of nebulous where it's the the subtext is. Ask me about this. Ask me about this thing I just I just said out loud. You were not the first person to suggest this to me, and let me say this before you and everyone else. The the intent is not for you to ask me any further questions. It really isn't. And as strange as that is, that's just not the intent. That's not me saying, please ask me why my left foot is on fire right now. Please ask so me like that. When you post something and you go, I just had a just had a major conversation. Major. Right? That's a, that's a, it's a hypothetical. I don't think you've ever technically posted that. Oh, I'm sure I've said, hey, things are happening or... You know, major setback today, or something like that. Yeah. I, I you want, want to, nobody to ask you about I want, that. I want to indicate that a that is me either venting a, a frustration, but I don't really want to complain too much. But I do want to get something out of my system, so I pick like as public a forum as possible to do it. Or that is me saying, you know what, I'm trying to do stuff. You know, people think that okay, you work in a comic book store, so you read book, comic books all day. Well, no. I tried to get something done today. Maybe I did it. Maybe I didn't. But I think that as far as customers go, they're like, wow, they're they're up to something at the store. I wonder what it is and when we can find out about it. That's kind of why I do it that way. Hmm. Because I see that stuff. And <laughs> you, you follow my Twitter? Yes, I do. One of the best and worst things about my Twitter is that sometimes I forget that people look at it. Well, so Twitter and, and from your point of view, sometimes you get fun stuff. And from my point of view, I'm like, wow, did I... Just tell the whole world that, you know. Well, here's the thing. You never tell the whole world anything. It is, again, these nebulous things that get thrown out. And as a curious person who asks a lot of questions, I see that and go, he wants somebody to ask about this question. It's a thing that, it seems to be a thing that people do. I kind of, sometimes I like not being noticed. But again, you know, if you're going to be part of a business, if you're going to be part of an industry, sometimes you have to, you're not doing yourself your business, the people you work with, any favors by, you know, working hard to not be noticed. Does that make sense at all? But for me, that's difficult to remember that I need to do things that way. So how often when you throw out one of these nebulous statements that clearly would... Can you you find an example? No, I can't. can't. Let's 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 use the pretend example of you won't believe the conversation I just had, Right. Very, fairly nebulous statement, but it's something akin to what you might post somewhere. How often are people following up in a separate email or something saying, what was it? Almost never. Really? Occasionally somebody will say, you know, was it something cool or what was it? And I'll say, working on something fun. Stay, stay tuned. Do you think it's almost never because at this point people know you enough to just not even bother asking? I think that there are some people like yourself that have kind of picked up on how I operate, I guess. You know, sometimes a customer will, will but I say... I still ask. Well, yeah, you still ask, and, I, and you know, I, I appreciate you checking on me. <laughs> but sometimes a customer will say, you know, well, just tell me what's at the end of the book. Just spoil it for me, and I'll say, hey, I'll never do that. I'll never just tell you what's at the end of a book. I'll tell you, you know, do you need to read it or not? Or if you like Wolverine, do you need to read the Spider-Man issue this week? I'll tell you stuff like that, but I'll never just come out and tell you you know, my version of, of events as I saw it. I'll let you make the determination on your own what yeah, happened. But outside of the context of a comic book, I'm talking about life. What's the difference? Oh, there's differences. 
as, as far as far as you know, uh, the delivery of the information. Well, I, I don't see too much between, of a difference. There's a, there's a spoiler alert of the the contents of a comic book that somebody can experience on their own, but then there is the experience you have experienced that none of us can experience. So you're not spoiling anything; you're just sharing something that happened. But in theory, though, it's not. That's not the end of line thing. That okay, wow, I just totally. You know, went into this house and the ghost of Jack Kirby was there and drew like you know the unfinished page of whatever on the wall. It's not that. It is okay. I'm one. I am now because of today's interaction, one step closer to this end of line thing that you you know will be experiencing, that you will you know get the result of. I almost wish I had pulled. I, I can do it. I, I no. can do it. <laughs> Nobody's going to sit here and listen to us pull tweets. That's I think the that, worst. I think that they would. You it's just need most... one good one. You just need one good one. I'll say this. If you follow Jermaine on Twitter, you will experience this experience. And then uh, maybe I'll do a follow-up episode where I will – I'm not going to do that. It's going to waste everybody's time. You know, again, not very good at talking about myself. But, That's what you we're know, here for. If I, if I don't talk about myself, then why are you here? Last year, I got runner-up best tweets in the triad. The triad talking about the cities of Greensboro – High Point, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, the triad of cities. This year I did win best tweets in the triad, which, you know, what does that even mean? But, you know, people <laughs> voted on it and determined that I was somebody interesting to follow, be it observations on the comic book industry or whatever awesome local business I'm, I had food at that was really good or taking pictures of my drive from North Carolina to San Diego and back. Just an interesting thing to follow. So that was kind of cool. And I have not quite 1,200 followers, which is crazy. You know, all of those can't be bots or whatever, spam right. bots. There's a few real people in there that have determined that I'm an interesting person to see what 120 characters I use, I guess. But, but are you conscious of how nebulous you are with how you deliver information? Probably not. I, I really don't think I am. You know, I really don't think I am as far as in my mind, and this is how I'm probably not great to work with as far as an employer-employee type situation. I feel that I will say in the least amount of words exactly what that person needed to know. I'll say, put this over there. In my mind, I just said, okay, take this thing here, put it over there. At the end, boom, you were done. But in the mind of the other person, they could be thinking, well, do you mean all of this? Did I have to move something else that was already there first? You know, all these various things that pop up. But in my mind, you know, I said in the least amount of words and the least confusing way in my mind what the other person needed to hear. That's not exactly need-to-know basis, if you if that terminology makes sense. But I really try to minimize things using economy of words. Do you feel like people get you? There are precious few people in the world that truly do, but the ones that do, they do. And they usually end up having to explain to other people that will say, what's this guy's deal? What's that supposed to be? It will usually be those people rather than myself that will say, well, here's how this works. Is there something for those precious few? Is there something, a piece of information they all have in common that the rest of us might not have? Probably working with me. Okay. Seeing how I work and through work, through interaction with the store itself and with customers, that is where you will begin to understand 
how I work with individuals, person to person, how I carry myself in life. You will extract out of witnessing those things if somebody, some information. You remember the Newlywood game? That's where one person is asked a question and then the other person comes back to see if they give the same answer because yes. they're supposed to really be on the same page together. Yes. Is there more than a handful of people that would do reasonably in that game with you? There's maybe six people. Is that Does that bother you? Do you want more people to be able to play the New League game with you? I don't need that. All right. I, I don't need that. I do need for... I would like for more stores to understand that I have good intentions. You know, there's a store in the North Carolina zone, let me say, that I've tried to build more relationship with. And I think that the owner of that store, it took him some time to figure out that, you know, I, I was walking the, the walk that I was talking and that I was real. It took him some time, whereas I felt like, why isn't this guy, you know, what do I got to do here to, you know, we have a long track record here. You can look at the, the data and see that we're a real place, but it took him a minute to see that. And, and he told me that he did see that. Okay, you guys are for real. You know, this is pretty good. Let's communicate together because, you know, comic shops are weird. There's not a lot of, not as much unity and interaction as I would hope that there would be. I want more of that. The whole industry gets stronger when you get more of that. And I have built up a pretty good network of stores in, in different states and stuff. You know, you email and say, hey, how's this selling? You email and say, double check your orders on this book, you guys. I think something's going on here. You know, I try to be helpful. But that is the thing that I would want more people to know, that my intentions are good for strong comic book stores, for the growth of the industry overall, as opposed to, you know, making a few extra dollars at the end of the day off of whatever units moved. You brought us back to comics. I want to talk another thing about comics. You mentioned him before. You're a big fan of Brian Michael Bendis and the work that Bendis does. I am. Strictly superhero work, or are you going back to Goldfish and Torso? It, that's an interesting journey in that I found myself reading... I was totally anti-Ultimate Spider-Man. I think I read the first issue, and, and of course the big hook and the big forward-moving moment is that Peter Parker is not in the Spider-Man costume in the first issue. I don't remember if he even got it in the second issue, and if he did, it didn't look like the costume that was A on the cover and the costume that you know so well. So I was immediately out. Issue number one. I'm done with this series. I would come back to it later on. Just Even then, I was in the mode of I'd at least like to know what's on the shelf, just hey, here's this book I never read, which is going back to the newsstand. Hey, there's a book. I've read all these other ones, never read that one. Still doing that. I found myself reading it again, I think around issue 20-something. I think the Green Goblin had returned. This was return of that character. Checked in on Daredevil, which at one point you saw the Alex Maleev artwork. You see a lot of text going on. What's going on here? I don't know what this is. Revisit both of those things kind of around the same time. These books are pretty good. Something's going on here. Looking at Powers, which has been running several issues. I wasn't with that stuff at the beginning. Hey, that's interesting. Same guy writing all this stuff. What's going on? Who's this Bendis guy? My roommate at the time was more into independent stuff. At Heroes Con, he had picked up Jinx and Torso straight off of Bendis' table. I think I even halfway remember it. I don't know if he had hair back then, but I vaguely remember my roommate buying those books from whoever was sitting at that table. He left them sitting out. He said, hey, man, you need to read these things. He left them sitting out on the table. And one day 
I read Jinx cover to cover. So I normally don't do that on a graphic novel. And once read it in one sitting, totally late for work. Couldn't put the book down. But hey, you have awesome staff that you know you can do stuff like that. And it just came together. Wow, this one guy is writing all this variety of stuff that, that's pretty interesting. And that led to you know sitting in on one of his panels specifically in Chicago to kind of meet the guy and see him face to face. Which leads into message board, right, which leads Lord into Retail. Lord Retail, and that name being known to people in the internet community, which leads back to this and that and the other, and it's all all kind so of tied in together. So here's the question. So Bendis is, and you can look at it now, and at the time even the case, clearly a revolutionary figure in comics. He, he has changed in a lot of ways the way comics are being written and presented and, and what comics feel like now or over the past 10 years as opposed to how they felt in the 90s or how they felt in the 80s. The comics of the aughts from 2000 on are are significantly different. He, he I will say, he was a leader in the presentation of, of comics in a different, different way. Yeah, I'm saying there's the decompressed storytelling. There's the the focus more, for better or worse, on the character dynamics more than the superhero action sequences. Exactly, because I, I I say, and I'll say this to customers sometimes, I've been a fan of Daredevil. Don't care about Matt Murdock. Not interested in that. I don't, don't care about ninjas. I don't care about stick. I like when Daredevil's fighting the owl or stilt man or something. But through reading this material here, I came to appreciate Matt Murdock and, and the challenges that that person has as being Daredevil and as being Matt Murdock. That's the first time I got any appreciation for that was through you know the Bendis content. So now, as somebody who's been reading comics for a very long time, like there are two ways to approach it. So for me, I'm not as huge a fan of it. When I read a superhero thing... I want to see the superhero tropes displayed to appeal to the nine-year-old in me, where I feel that feeling. But I can appreciate something like Torso or Jinx because it's a separate beast with separate tropes. The merging of the two doesn't always quite jive with me for all kinds of reasons that we won't get into because this is a conversation (laughs) about you, not about me. But you have taken so strongly to this kind of material and really like it and appreciate it for what it is. Does it color your memories of the older comics and that, it, that Daredevil versus Owl idea? It, it really doesn't. And I think here's a challenge for me as somebody that has read so many superhero things that it is really hard to show me Spider-Man punching out Dr. Octopus in a way that I've never seen before and in a way that I don't say to myself, this is not as good as the spectacular Spider-Man issue you know, from 1992. I've already seen this. It's the same thing, and it's not as good. What you can do is you can show me more about the characters, more about why is Dr. Octopus doing this one more time when he knows this doesn't work. Why is he doing this? What is this fight with Dr. Octopus preventing Peter Parker from from doing and causing him to question, why is my life like this and I'm still doing this, that I have not been able to get past this right here? So in that way, I'm still getting my superheroes I'm familiar with, but I'm getting some new aspect of the same thing that I've always seen and kind of always wanted to see. But it's got some new new angle on it that I didn't normally get to see. You know how you read Marvels by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross? And it's the same scenes that you, that you know about from Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Marvel series. But it's from the point of view of a guy on the sidewalk saying, what in the world is that? You know it is... Namor battling the human torch like you've seen many times in reprints or whatever. But what you don't know is what does that look like from somebody that's just on the sidewalk that day? What does that appear to be? Do you miss 
the old stuff? Do you miss enjoying a thing as a superhero fight sequence? I don't miss it because it's in my house. You know, if I want to see Daredevil versus the Owl, I know exactly where to go to in my long boxes or off of my shelf. It still feels the same because I can remember what was in those books, what was awesome about those books that made me want to get the next part and complete the storyline, what made me still keep those books, because I'm not a completist. If I don't like an issue, it's out of there. And I'll know, hey, why don't I have issues number 7 through 11 of this particular series? Oh, yes, it's because that was going on, and I didn't like that. So it, it's still there if I, if I want to get to it. I'm one of those people that I'm not inflexible. There's a, a growing number of fans that, that is very inflexible, and I'll remind them that as the reader, they have a lot of power. If you don't like a story, you know what? It never happened. Don't think about it. Get it out of your collection. I didn't care for some of what J. Michael Straczynski did with Amazing Spider-Man. There was no relationship between Gwen Stacy and Norman Osborn. She certainly certainly didn't have twin children by the Green Goblin, and that's why the bridge scene happened. You know what? That that's never happened. I don't think about it. I don't tell anybody about it. It's not there. Not in my collection. You can't find it in my house. didn't happen because I have power as the reader over, over my own continuity that I count. I remember Mark Evanier, I think it was Evanier, wrote a whole piece on that in the Comics Buyer's Guide. It's on creating your own continuity. If Kurt Swan Superman is your Superman, then you can stop. And that'll, you know, the big cat beast, I love the beast. I don't know that beast. It just makes it... It register. It it keeps comics fun, and it makes sailing an awful lot smoother when when you do things that way. Rather than twisting and and turning like a fish out of water, flopping around on, on deck, you know, gasping for air because this character now has brown hair or this character now is said to have done this because of that thing that happened that you never knew about. If you don't like it, forget about it. But you as a retailer have been able to do an incredible thing, which is whereas a lot of us, myself included, see a point at which the the characters aren't what we remember them to be and we do check out. We start reading other things. We move away from it. So the version of the beast that exists now now, remember, he's gone through one more change. So. I know, but this this could be listened to in who knows how many years. Exactly. It's not the beast I recognize and grew to care about as a fictional character, as much as you can care about a fictional character. So I, I as somebody who can draw, I can draw that version of the beast and get that Jones filled or go back and read an old comic. But it's your job to know what's going on, as we were talking about. You are you have to taste the food you're serving. I feel like it is part of my job to, yeah. to know that. I, I feel like that's not me going above and beyond because I know – you know what beast looks like it's not a, no, no. a, a I, bonus I know, that, that's uh i know what he looks like also but you you are able to maintain a certain level of enthusiasm enough to sell this stuff and not be to the cliche the bitter ridiculous comic shop guy eating a sandwich and then somebody shows up and puts a comic in front of them and they huff and puff like you're reading this which is a thing that oh, is I, I know that's a thing of course that's very real but you don't do that in fact, we'll get to it in a bit. I culled some questions from people. <laughs> You're killing me with this. And one of the questions, and I'm going to ask you. Well, well let, me, let me stick with something you mentioned before we move on. Yeah. I don't particularly like Cat Beast. I think that makes no sense at all. But at the same time, I will recall that fans of original Beast, which was just a guy with large hands and feet, had to deal with some random comic that was not X-Men <laughs> in which that character became a wolfman. Of some sort. 
And true. I remember that happened to those fans at one point, to which they would have equally said, I don't know who this, I especially don't know who this character is. What do they do to the beast? But then on the other hand, when it comes time to sell to a person, I will say that in this storyline by Grant Morrison, he reveals that some characters, some mutants had secondary mutations that, that were just now coming around. For some of the characters you're familiar with, they're going through yet another change they have to deal with. So it's not, okay, I'm totally comfortable being a mutant. My power's working this way. Well, you know what? Now there's this other thing I deal with. I'm not even sure if it's done changing yet. So that's a new aspect of reading X-Men comics. Some of the characters are having a, a new change to deal with. If we can just go down this nerd path a little more. Surprisingly, it's not the cat appearance that bothered me, although it doesn't, I don't love it as a visual. My turn on Beast happened even before that, where I like a smiling, pleasant Beast. So do I. A happy character who is the one mutant of them all who is not so distraught all the time about this deformity. He revels in it. He's out in the world. He's an Avenger. He can play well with others. And I feel like at a certain point, Beast became the guy in the lab who never did anything. You're exactly right. Around. He became a plot device where if you need generic science, whatever made up <laughs> science done, you bring in the Beast, you have him do that, you have him go away. And through yeah. that process, he became less... And less and less fun of a character. The same thing happened to Nightcrawler. Yes, that was an awesome character that you wanted to see him in the the Burning Claremont X Men or, or the uh, Dave Cockrum X Men. You wanted to see him. Yes, you wanted to see him own his unusual affliction. character. Yes. yes, own his affliction, his unusual characteristics because he was born that way. He can't help it. And you want to see how how he carries it and the fun stuff he does, the lightheartedness, almost Spider Man lightheartedness. But at some point. He became an unpleasant character to yeah. read about, and and that was that's always unfortunate to see when so much continuity or whatever you want to call it is put upon a character that they are no longer fun. Yeah, we could talk about blue X Men characters forever. <laughs> There's a plenty of them. Definitely, Archangel. Let's go. No, and I, I thought I was the only one that noticed that sort of thing because it oh. really isn't the physical change. It's it not. is that a character that has been through all sorts of traumas, but they're just no longer fun. All right, talking about characters, we had this conversation once a while ago. We're on a podcast. So nobody can see you. You are a black man. Yes. We've talked about minority. People, people forget that about me sometimes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I say this because we're going to talk about minority characters. We've talked about minority characters, and I, maybe I'm misremembering it, despite my memory being a steel trap. Dangerous, man. Outside of, of Luke Cage written by Brian Bendis, if I'm not mistaken, there haven't really been minority characters, specifically African-American characters, really struck a chord with you as a comic book reader. Is that an accurate memory? And I won't even... I think the connection to Luke Cage is that he became more interesting. I had a better understanding of what is this guy really about? How does he How does he carry himself? I you what as an adult. He, I'm talking about you as... as in that, in that oh, peak, that, that is what, it is what I'm... Well, okay, yeah. I'm I, talking I get about what you saying. in your peak period, what we talked about before, that 14 to 17 range, when you were starting to consume comics. There were certainly... There were Black Panther. Black Panther was around. Uh, Black Lightning was around. But remember, I didn't have an appreciation for DC during that time. I was really getting into the mythos of comics. So, but Heroes you know, for Hire was a book in the late nineties, and, and it was Iron Fist and, and Luke Cage. I think that was gone. That was off the shelves. The Pascal Ferry book that was during the Heroes Reborn era. Okay, yeah, yeah, that that was still there, but the original Power Man and Iron Fist. No, no, that was, was long gone. Was that long was an eighties book. Yeah, I'm talking about the the relaunch. I mean, they keep trying. There was a Cage book from the nineties that, and that always uh, the redesign of Luke Cage. Then I didn't really realize it was the same character from the handbook with the yellow shirt. Right. 
because somebody thought he should look like Mike Tyson yeah. for some reason, and I didn't understand that. And Mike Tyson was kind of scary, so I really wasn't going to be reading that book. There was, there was the ridiculous rage, ridiculously named Rage from the Avengers comics. That might have been before your peak period. No, no, I, yeah. I, I was buying those books off the shelf, and I found that that character was kind of interesting, especially once you know he, he's this huge, muscular, like he, he's he's a, a strength guy. He's a strength guy, and he wears a mask. And he's like, what's going on, Avengers? You know, you're going to let me on this team here. I see what's going on here, Avengers, and I'm going to be a member of this team. But you come to find out that it's kind of like a Captain Marvel thing where he's actually a very young kid that transforms into into this superhero-looking guy. But that character went off the rails pretty fast and spiraled into what have you. (laughs) But I was kind of interested in that. The design was terrible. Terrible. But I kind of thought that was an interesting aspect because I didn't know... Captain Marvel yet. Right. I didn't know that that process of kid becoming adult superhero and hanging out with adult superheroes. I, I didn't really know what that was yet. I kind of wish that there could be some sort of... I, I assume that surely they've killed that character off, but I kind of I would wonder. hope that maybe somebody somewhere would remember what that character was and what the potential was. For rage. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's The gone. angry black man. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's gone. You know, he, had, he would need a redesign. <laughs> he, would need a, he would need a redesign. Just the but... whole thing is so... Again, as, as a kid, adult. I didn't notice. As a right, kid, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't notice it. And you know, I was never a skateboarder, so Night Thrasher, I was especially not interested in that guy with his skateboard. Right. Even though I did buy New Warriors comics for a bit, but I just was not interested at all. Nothing on the Black Panther. I would buy Fantastic Four sometimes when he was in there, just to see what was going on because I didn't have a lot of comics with him in it. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I don't think he had his own ongoing series, but. I just think it just I wasn't seeing the character a whole lot, and, and as you mentioned it, there really weren't a lot of weren't a lot of different options. Looking through, you know, re- recalling my Marvel handbook of, of characters, yeah, B- I mean, Bill Rick, Foster. Bill you Foster. know what? I took the death of Bill Foster worse than anybody else on this planet. In Bill Civil, Foster in, being in the, Civil the second War. giant man, exactly. Who is it? And you got was a black man, and you got to remember though he was in Stanley Avengers as Hank Pym's lab assistant. Yes. Okay. He wasn't like a, a sidekick like a Rick Jones. He was like, okay, I I work at this laboratory. You know, I'm an assistant to like one of the top scientists. I know about pim particles. We're working together on stuff. And at that time, that's a pretty big deal. You know, it would take DC what like 30 years just to come up with another superhero from the streets because that's how that works. Bill Foster was a professional, a man of credentials. That you know, I assume Mark Miller didn't really know who that was, or the editor said, here's some characters you can do away with. And he was out in Civil War to prove how deadly the circumstances were. The Falcon? I, I took that pretty bad. The Falcon ever uh, – I thought the Falcon was rad. He could fly at wings. He could not, talk to birds. Not really. I never okay. really – as far as being a youth, I never yeah, yeah, really – in, in your peak period. I feel like I wouldn't see him the Falcon a lot. Where, a would mini, I, where would I have seen him? I'm trying to think. He had a miniseries in the, in the 80s. That's right. And he was in the Secret Did he fight War. a Sentinel? Was there a Sentinel in the, the Sentinel 80s? on the cover. Okay. I think he was in Secret Wars 2 because there was an action – there was a Falcon action figure. In the in the Secret Wars line, I'm trying to think. There was a period of time when I was getting into buying new issues off the shelf where Iron Fist was dead, and it would take John Byrne to bring him back. Luke Cage was unrecognizable. Spider Woman had no powers and was hanging out in Wolverine comics. I didn't know who she was. She know, had a yeah. short haircut. She had no powers. She was Jessica Drew. No context for who that is. And these are characters for today's listeners. They can't escape these characters. They're everywhere. It's like, why is Iron Fist in AVX, Avenger vs. X-Men? Why am I seeing so much Iron Fist? But for me, I wasn't seeing those characters. They weren't anywhere. So I'm trying to think if I was seeing Falcon anywhere. 
I feel like I wasn't. I guess he would have appeared in a Captain America comic at some point. A Grunewald Captain America comic. I would imagine. I feel like he would have been in, in some issue or, yeah. or two. And, and over at DC, people assume that Jon Stewart was in all of these Green Lantern comics throughout history, and he kind of wasn't. He was there for the initial Neil Adams, but then he wouldn't come back again for a while in any well, well, meaningful way. I remember buying Green Lantern comics off the rack at on a, like a 7-Eleven drugstore, and they had Jon Stewart on them, and I was confused. I was like, wait, like this the, is the guy from the Super... Like the Joe, Joe Staten issues, No, I this think? was... Who was it might have been Dave Gibbons. Okay, I know it was ones you mean. Yeah, okay. I mean, there was like a cover where he take he's like got the ring and he's taking his own mask off. Remember, he's like, "What's he doing?" <laughs> and I'm I was triply confused because I knew Green Lantern from Super Friends. I'm like, this looks nothing like the guy from Super Friends, and I barely remember the comics. But I remember being really sort of taken aback by what is what's happening in this thing. And well, maybe it made you you know check it out. I don't know. Maybe it was the point. I have it, well, but I feel I like. You know, John Stewart is such a name now because of the Justice League yes. cartoon is why that is. But there was a period where your average fan, and even a fan like me that thought I was learning something about comics, wasn't really seeing that. I gotcha. I find that interesting just because it's such a hot button. I, I think but I like comics, having a frank conversation about it. I think that comics are more diverse now than me personally, what I was seeing in the... I'm not saying I was branching out into all corners, but, you know, assume you're kind of just looking at this area that you feel that you like. You didn't have a Mr. Terrific running around. You didn't have... No. Uh, Characters like that weren't really as prevalent or, or key to storylines, because I feel like an effort is being made to keep these characters in use, not just because of, okay, we got to, you know, use a spread of minority characters at all times. I just think that the writers feel that it is important to remember that these are characters in a pool of characters that can be used have different skill sets and, and purposes and, and whatnot you know that the female characters in comics are not necessarily there to give the male characters motivation to get revenge when when they are of course killed off that these are characters of, of value to be used so i kind of appreciate that and comics can always do better comics can always do better you know you, you are concerned you see a uh, asian kid come in and there's not a lot of characters that you know look like him or her on the shelf and i'm not saying all kids need that but some kids they say wow this character i have a connection to say miles morales spider-man on a different level like okay yeah that anybody can be spider-man i, I guess i could be spider-man let me uh, see what's I, going on here when as a kid when you learn that a character is jewish that means something as a jewish kid and i remember of the entire milestone line the one i had the most issues of was cobalt did they spell it with a k yeah that's all I know about it. Because his thing was he was a Cuban character. And my family came from Cuba. So I was like, oh, I want to read this. I want to see how this... I think I had like nine issues of that thing. I don't remember hardly any of them. But it was enough to get me to buy that milestone book more than any other milestone book. And I'd pick up a few hardware. I think I have an issue of static somewhere. I don't know if I have any milestone books. I, I don't know if I do. I think there was a crossover with DC Blood Comics Syndicate, at the man. time. Come on, Blood Syndicate? I didn't do that one. I didn't do that one. Icon? I think there was a cross. I, I maybe have a couple issues of Icon because that was kind of an interesting series because it would get into like, you know, social issues yeah. or whatever. You had your Superman character, but he was dealing with like teen pregnancy. Pretty, pretty real social stuff going on. We mentioned earlier your handlers, that you need a lot of handlers. I do for, for multiple reasons. You know, I from being, you know, I'm supposed to be manager of people, meaning I come up with an idea or I need something done. In theory, I'm supposed to delegate it out to other people to make sure those things are being done so that I can then focus on doing this other thing. So it does take a whole network of people, but equally 
because I can't remember stuff or, you know, I'm not good at talking about myself and somebody really needs to be there to say, this is what's going on. I do need a, a network of, of people. You but, know, I, I need a numbers guy. I need a person that is good at this. I need a person for that. It, it takes, it, if I were a transformer, it would take five to six separate robots to, to create me. But I'm talking about in the outside world as a functioning human. Oh, yeah, definitely. Ask me, ask me when the last time I went grocery shopping was. Why? You're a grown man. Come on. What's going on? I go grocery shopping maybe, you know, unless you count, like, leftovers. Do you count leftovers as grocery shopping? No. I do. I helped you find your car in Charlotte one year. Yeah. I didn't know where you parked. Neither did I. How is that? Why does yeah, that how, happen? How is that going to work? Wasn't it, for, yeah. wasn't it fortuitous that the two of us were, were put together at that moment in time? But how does that even happen? How do you not know where your car is? Sometimes I focus so much on work-related issues that things like that happen. Yeah. And, that's, and that's peeling back a layer of curtain that I usually don't do because I'm so focused on work-related stuff. And that is the bulk of what my brain is being used for that... What'd you call it again? Human issues? Personal matters? Life. Life, yes. You, you, uh, how do you say uh, life? Yeah. Sometimes aspects of that just totally fall off, you know? I'm pretty sure if I could live at the store, I would probably do that. I mean, you, you, are, you are notorious for your not having sense of time. I have no sense of time. <laughs> Oftentimes I will ask, what year is it? And people think I'm making a joke. Because you got to look at it this way. I've been, the shape of my week has been the same for 17 years. The essential Wednesday. The structure, sure. Wednesday, new comics are being sold or received and sold for the first time. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're working with that new material. You're making your changes to the store. Monday, Tuesday, you're finding out what's coming in so you can prepare to receive that stuff. That's the basic shape of my life for 17 years. Yeah, but that leaves like roughly 20 years where that wasn't the shape of your life. I mean, if you want to you know, be mathematical about it, I guess. So there's, there's there are certain things that uh, you had clocks and time. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Hey, I'm not putting your feet to the fire here. I'm just trying to understand. Uh, like, does it frustrate you that you don't have a handle that you need handlers or no. you want handlers? No, I, I, I love it. I like knowing oh. that there's somebody to say, "Hey, it's time to eat. Hey, it's time to go home. We're going home, but we want to make sure you knew it was time to go home." Jermaine, you're a madman. I love it. <laughs> Never claim not to be. There's no it. point where I said, hey, man, I'm not crazy. Well, you have handlers. You have a staff. You have people that know you. And I've always had that. Like, I've always I've asked them, had people around. I've asked them to ask some questions. This sounds like a terrible idea. It sort of is. Some of these are terrible questions. I'm going to ask them anonymously. You won't know who asked them. <laughs> won't I? You might. All right. Here's a question. I have to ask it the way it was asked. When are you going to get a real job? I've had a real job for years, okay? And here's the other thing about me. I've only had two jobs in my life. I don't know if that is indicating that I don't have a lot of work experience. I've only had the two jobs. Or if I had had it that much right, that I didn't really need to make any adjustments or changes. I didn't need to upgrade except for one time. Or I didn't need to, you know, make... What do you call it? Lateral uh, movement or, or a whatever? Course correction, sure. Yeah, I didn't need to do that, and it also kind of means you know never been fired from a job. So I think I've got a pretty real job here. 
what's the saddest moment of your life? Apparently, you go around saying, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen. This is the saddest moment this. I, I don't say that bar? so much as I will say, this is the worst thing ever. I think that's probably okay. the, the wording rather than this is sad. I don't, I don't. I feel like I don't say that very much. I think somebody is misquoting me on that one. I'm not really. I really don't want to get this into a barber wall. I don't want to make you cry. No, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Although um, the follow-up was, who is truly the worst? I feel like the worst and the absolute worst is this, this specter, the spirit, this parasite that will temporarily inhabit the body of a – it could be a stranger. It could be someone someone that you know, and they will then become the absolute worst. Then will that spirit depart and, and you know dissipate? Sure, it will. What is the nature of that spirit? What is that spirit doing that makes it the worst? Doing something counterproductive to work, slowing up a process, failing to understand the core of how something works, that is what can make something the absolute worst. Right now, for this moment in time in human, in human history, you are the absolute worst. You are not what is needed right now. You're not the man of, man of the hour right now. And it changes. It inhabits you know, different bodies. Where do you get the awesome hats? You know, I've always had hats. I have in my closet a hanger that has nothing but hats on it. A hanger? Like, like, like a hat rack? No, this would be like a baseball caps, I guess. Okay. Like, I've always had those. You know, there's periods in school, of course, where you can't wear a hat, so that means I had to kind of undo the back clasp, attach it to my book bag, because I carried my book bag everywhere. Never learned how to use a locker combination. I couldn't do it. So that meant that I carried Come around. On. I thought we were carrying and sharing here, okay? We are, but I can't never, I, I, I <laughs> literally never learned how to use a locker. I couldn't get the thing open in middle school, and, and I was done. Couldn't get it to work. So I carried around with me all through the duration of high school every book I needed for that day, every hardcover book I needed for that day. And that is how I have these monstrous cabs I still carry around to this day, having to go <laughs> – from third floor, uh, from bottom floor to third floor, Spanish class, then over to the uh, gym area, and then back over. Grim- Grimsley High School is a massive campus, so. Adios mio. Say something bad about a comic book. I feel like I do it all the time. Now, will I do it in the presence of customers? It would have to be a customer that I've had a extremely long relationship with, and I would have to have something else to immediately say positive about something that I know is upcoming or literally have in my hand something else that if I'm going to say, you know what, the colors in this book, it, it's kill, it, it's awful. The colors are undoing the artwork. It, it, it's terrible coloring in this book. But you know what? It's awesome color. Like, look at this one here. Does this, does this not look awesome You know, in comparison? How about this one? Yeah, I got part one like right over there. This is great, right? I don't know where to begin. There's a lot of there's a lot of books I don't I don't particularly care for. There's a lot of every week I will look at the spread of new releases that we've assembled on our wall and I will see some pretty terrible covers. I'll see some covers that they don't look like anything or they'll be copy all over the cover where you you don't know what the series is called or it's covering up the artwork or it's just like how did somebody think this was a presentation? That would make this look attractive to somebody because I'll typically look at it from a retailer point of view. It's not often where I'll say you know this character is this character's out of character for right. my purposes because you know that's subjective. So I, I got to kind of check myself on that one. But I will say, when a book or a, or a creative team did not have in mind that someone needs to buy this, and you are competing against ninety other things on a shelf, that no part of that conversation came into it. Follow up to that, 
say something bad about Bendis. It's hard for me to say something bad about Bendis, and here's why. Because not only did he put me in a comic book, I don't mean like I was just like a bystander on a page. Like the, the character that he made for me, you know, Jermaine X-Men, Ultimate Spider-Man, number whatever, and you're going to say, how do you not know what issue number it is? I don't know what issue number it is. That's real. I'm on, I think, six different pages, which are up in the store, the original pages. I mentioned in a handbook entry. That's crazy. In the Omega Ultimate Omega Red handbook entry, my character is mentioned. Madness. But here's the thing, though. Through use of his message board and by being not crazy, he introduced me to David Gabriel of, of Marvel Comics, vice president of sales and marketing. Jim McCann, when he was involved in marketing department of Marvel, he helped me to pierce a barrier that there was no way I could have pierced before. We had no Marvel rep. You had Diamond. There's, there was a DC rep. There was no Marvel rep. That, that job was dissolved. If I had an issue, if I had a thought, if I had anything to say to Marvel, I had no way to do that. But he said, here is who you need to talk to. You should probably talk to these people. And I still talk to them to this day, and that's something not all stores have. I'd sent him an email the other day about something, about an issue I, I was having to kind of get his advice on it because he remembers – he worked in a comic book store, remembers what that was like, which, you know, respect for that. I think that's good that a lot of comic book creators today did time in a store for various reasons, and he just has a lot of experience in a matter. And he didn't email me back. He called the store. He said, you know, what do you want to talk about? Taking time out of his life to do that. And this was a couple of days ago. So it's kind of hard to say anything – like, wow, I don't like what he did with this character here. It's kind of hard to do that to somebody that's willing to do those other things for you. you yeah. know, did, did I love throwing Alpha Flight under the bus after the House of M storyline so easily? Didn't love that, but what are you going to do? Sometimes the wrong team is in the wrong place. There are no right or wrong answers, Jerry. Kirby or Ditko? Here's the fun thing about comics, if you stick with it, is that... You know, automatically I, I was drawn to Jack Kirby. Once you discover what that is, the look of it is appealing. That that is comic books. You know, the the proportions, the characters coming at you off the page. That is what comic books is. But you also have these other guys doing stuff that at the time I called it not Kirby. That was Ditko, Don Heck, Gene Cullen, everybody else. I filed under not Kirby. But as you stick with it, and as I was seeing Steve Rude. As I was seeing Mike Allred through those guys, I reverse engineered an appreciation from out of nowhere for Steve Ditko, which I looked at his early Spider-Man stuff, and I always said, this is weird looking. I don't know what this is. But then through appreciating these other creators looking at current stuff, newer stuff, just from out of nowhere, I looked at this one issue where Spider-Man was battling Dr. Octopus. I think they were in like a warehouse or something, or there was like a artwork and stuff, and there was a fire, and the, the, it was they were battling. There's something about that. I said, wow. That's crazy. I know what's going on here. I know why this looks this way to cause me to go back and look at all the early Amazing Spider-Man stuff again with new eyes. And if you stick with it, that can happen for you at any moment where you can have an all-new appreciation for any number of classic artists that you just discounted before. This is going to be the last question. I was just getting on a roll. This is going to be the last question, and I am not going to follow it up. There'll be no are, follow -up are you sure question. you can resist the follow-up? On mics, I can. When we turn off the mics, it might change. It'll be the last question. I will not follow up this question. Question is, so there's been a lot of, it's been a long time coming, this conversation. 
Like you, you've said that you've wanted to talk to me for a while. Yeah. And it's been a minute, so I don't know. A minute. I feel I feel like you talk to me all the time. And I don't know if I'm probably frustrating to talk to because you kind of you know, you want to know more things and I'm not trying to tell more things. But in the lead just up, because I feel like there's other stuff that she, you know, there's more important issues going on to focus on than what type of, of tie I want to wear with my yellow hat. But in the lead up, there was certainly like you seem to indicate like, Oh my god, what are you gonna ask me? I'm nervous. I told you no holds barred. I know. I feel like you've been giving me softballs this whole time. Here's the question. What were you worried or dreading or concerned that I was going to ask you? What questions were you afraid of or or concerned about? I wasn't really, you know, I I, I know you. And if there's something you wanted to talk about, I I was open to talk about whatever it was. We just got on the tail end of Free Comic Book Day that went pretty successful. I kind of feel like... We halfway know what we're doing because that's the thing. Like, I'm never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. Okay, we are awesome at this now, so we can totally coast because we know what we're doing on this thing here. I'm never comfortable with that, but I kind of feel like even though you can't please everyone, that for the most part, we represented the comic book industry to our community, and there was tons of new people that we'll see again later, and and I'm hearing more happy stories than unhappy stories, so I kind of feel like we did that right. So for the most part, I'm kind of comfortable. Right now, Monday or Tuesday, back to business as usual of being, you know, we got to be better about this or we're slipping on that type of thing. But for right now, I was ready for just about anything. You were ready for it, but were you dreading anything? Not really. I can't say I, I, I was like, oh, okay, I hope we didn't talk about this. I don't mm-hmm. think I had that. So does that then unlock something else for you? are like, I can't, you no, know, I can't I hit said, him with this one. Nope, nope, nope. The other night we were talking, and you were pointing out that I, Greg, am a professional, so I have an attitude about this, that, or the other. And I said, Jermaine, you are a professional, and you did that, the, the humility thing of like, no, no, no. Jermaine, you are an absolute professional. You're on a top-notch store. You're a pro, and you should embrace your position as a professional in the comic book industry. You know what it is? Because I don't have a good sense of the passage of time, I still feel like I'm that guy from 1995, 1996. I don't feel any different. You know, does my knee hurt sometimes or I get tired sooner? Yes. But I don't realize it's been 17 years. Even when I say that, that number doesn't mean anything to me. I've been here 17 years and people are like shocked or amazed. Or I see a customer come in that in my mind, they're still in high school and they come in like with their kid. I'm like, that's odd. I just I think that's what it is. I don't think it's a false humility. I just think that I, I, for me, I don't realize the scope and scale of, of where Acme Comics has come from on this end versus where it is now and how it is perceived by, by other people. And I think I probably just realized that just, just now. You've had a breakthrough, Greg. The breakthrough is you're a pro. And I thank you, Jermaine, for the time. Uh, thanks for having me, Greg. You oh, know, you I, I feel like I could have talked about some more stuff, you know. Getting into the whole say something bad about a comic book, you know, there's a lot of issues where I can't always say what I actually think about something because I'm a spokesperson for it. So that means that I can't always say, you know, here here's what I think about this brand or this series or whatever because I got I have to sell it. I have to be the advocate for Spawn. If somebody wants to talk about Spawn, I have to, and that's a series I was never into, but I have to say, you know, the. The, the the Al Simmons saga has run its course, and, and, and the, the Earth was destroyed, and he had to restart it, but he also recreated all of his old villains, and there's actually a new spawn here, and he's trying to figure out how that works. You have to accentuate the positive. 
Exactly. If somebody's excited about Spawn, then I'm right there with you. Eliminate for... the negative. Are you doing a song thing? It is a song thing. I thought it was. You gotta So how do we do? That was that was not a short one, as they would say down at Acme Comics. That conversation took a minute. And speaking of taking a minute, I want to take a minute. Well, speaking of taking a minute and Acme Comics, I'm going to take a minute right here to let you guys know that the gang at Acme Comics, Jermaine, Stephen Mayer, assistant manager and previous guest on this very show, are hosting their very first convention, Comic Book City Con in Greensboro, North Carolina. It is taking place October 26 and 27 of 2013. They're celebrating 30 years in business of Acme Comics. And I'm going to put up a link on the website where you can, you know, you click that and you'll get more information. It's that simple. But I can tell you, I will be attending that show. I'll be set up there. And I'll be doing a couple of panels, one of which may well be the very first live in front of an audience recording of Stuff Said. So so that's something. Hmm? Speaking of the website, you go to it, stuffsaidshow.com. You can comment. All episodes are there. Show notes, art, etc. You can email me, stuffsaid at gmail.com. Twitter, at Stuff Said Show. The show's on iTunes. You subscribe there. Leave a review. Give it five stars. People will know about it that way, apparently. The show's also available on the Acme Wave Projector at acmewaveprojector.com. What else can I tell you? The theme song is by Craig Chin. He's at rudeanagrams.com. You want more information about me, Greg Shegel? Go to HatterEntertainment.com. H-A-T-T-E-R. Entertainment. All one long word. Other than that, I think I think there should be a concerted effort to get Jermaine to watch the movie Field of Dreams. I think he's being very dismissive. I don't even necessarily love that movie. But I think it's foolish to dismiss that movie as just a baseball movie. And I think he should know. So tweet at him. Say, hey, Jermaine, you should watch Field of Dreams. Otherwise, that's about all the stuff I have left to say. I'll see you next time. La, 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 la.